treat was that? Yeah. Thank you, Esty. Thank you. Thank you. This morning, we have the privilege here at Highlands Church to hear from one of our mission partners and Mr. Um, Mr. Pastor. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Sorry, <Spine>. final. <laughs> pastor Joel Jackenpole. He is the pastor over Front Porch Ministry at Cal Poly University. He is incredible. Yeah. He's so thankful. So very thankful for what he does. He will be sharing exactly what he does there down in Cal Poly, but so thankful that he has given his life to serve the children, our older children, right, in such mm-hmm. a critical time to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. So welcome. Thank you, Katie. Good morning. It is so great to be back here. Uh, I get to come up here a couple times a year, um, and I always look forward to it. I love this community of people. I love the energy and the passion um, for life that you have. I, have the, I love the honesty that this community has about life, um, the joys and the sorrows, um, and that this community comes around all of that and says, this is life, and we're going to be intentional about doing it together. Um, and that is such a cool thing and such a beautiful thing that this community has. Uh, it, that's why coming to places like this is my favorite thing to do, because I believe that this is what it means to be the church, to be a community of people who, who know that life is a struggle, know that there's amazing things in life, and know that there are really tough things in life. But we're going to do it all together, and we're going to go through it together. And we're going to believe that Jesus is the center of it all, and it's in Jesus that we can find life. Um, so what a cool thing that you have here, and I thank you for allowing me to come and be a part of it. I thank you for your support of Front Porch, for your prayer. Um, Front Porch is an amazing thing uh, that I am privileged to be a part of. I'm humbled to be a part of. What I just talked about is what we try to do with college students. Uh, We try to do it in a little bit different way. Uh, We just have a community that's pretty much a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week community. Um, It's a space that we believe God is always present in as God is present everywhere. Uh, and we have close to 400 students when we're in session that will come through our facility every single day and are a part of our community, and we're teaching them what it means to be the church. Um, And we're not doing it with program. We're simply believing that this is a space, and if we are intentional in our relationships with these college students, showing them what it means uh, to be loved by God through just the way that we treat them, the way that we serve them, then something beautiful will happen. And I want to tell you that there's something beautiful happening on the campus of Cal Poly um, that people are falling in love with. Um, People who love Jesus are falling in love with it, and people who don't love Jesus are falling in love with it. And what I believe they're falling in love with is the love of God. Um, And it's an amazing thing. So thank you. Um, I couldn't uh, thank you enough for all the support that you guys show to the amazing ministry that it is. Um, I'm on... I'm on a little bit of a break, uh, not vacation necessarily, but a little bit of a break, somewhat like a school teacher, um, but I still have a lot of stuff to do. I do a lot of fundraising in the summer and planning for the year ahead, uh, but I do get a break during the summer uh, because we don't have those 400 students a day coming through the facility, and so it gives my wife and I and our three kids a little bit of a break. We live right next door to the uh, facility. I think I've told you that before, and so when school is in session, um, it's craziness for our family. We love the craziness, but it's craziness. Um, and then summer has been, a, I was talking to Katie about it, summer has been a little bit of a different kind of craziness, and now we're ready for our own children to go back to school 
school and get back into the routine because they have just been together for a little too long. Um, and so it's time to let them have their space. Uh, but it's been good. Summer's always nice. We get to do things that we don't normally get to do, and we get a lot more time as a family. We came up here to Paso to the fair. We went to the ravine for the first time a couple weeks ago, which I don't know why. We've lived in Slow for four years, and we've never been to the ravine, but we went there this summer, and my son is, that's his favorite place on earth now. Um, and so I think it'll be a normal thing every summer now that we come up here to go to the ravine. Um, but summer is also time that we get to go on family vacations. Uh, we don't have a lot of time for vacation throughout the rest of the year, and so summer is the time that's dedicated for that. And one of the things that I have been doing with my wife's side of the family, my in-laws, since I started dating her uh, in college was that they invited me along with them on their family vacations. And they love vacation. Like, more so than any family I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and they go big on vacations. That they, they have different kinds of vacations. They, they, they switch off years. They don't do this anymore. This is what they did when I met them. They, so that on, the, on the on years, I guess, is how their family talked about them. They would go on a big trip, journey, like somewhere outside of the United States. On the off years... Um, I always joke around with them that it's off year because I never went to Hawaii as a child. On their off years, they would go to Hawaii. Uh, and so I got invited into this. I grew up, my, va- my idea of vacation as a kid was, you know, getting in a car with a tent and sleeping bags and finding a campsite. And that, that was all I knew of vacation. Um, they, their family doesn't camp. Um, and so... Uh, <laughs> And my mother-in-law plans these vacations out like months ahead of time, almost years ahead of time. And every last detail of these vacations are planned out. I do like that because I am a big, I'm a planner. So I will never forget the first vacation that I went on with her family, and it was a trip to Hawaii. And we are sitting there the very first night at dinner at a restaurant. And my, I know that my mother-in-law had picked out this restaurant. I, I know that she had picked out this restaurant for a reason. I'm pretty sure she had even picked out, picked out the table that we were sitting at and the time that we would be there. Because we're sitting at this table and the sun is setting on the horizon. And we just finished dinner and we're about to start dessert. And as we're sitting there, her family, my future wife, my future brother-in-law, and future mother and father-in-law, are talking about this phenomenon, this thing that I had never heard of before in my life. I'm, I think I was a sophomore in college at the time, and I never heard of this, and it's this thing known as the green flash, and I'm sure many of you have heard of it before. And the idea is, is that as the last flicker of sunlight disappears on the horizon, that there is this very brilliant but quick flash of green light, that if you blink, you will miss it. And it doesn't always happen, but it does happen, they said. And so I'm sitting there hearing this for the very first time, and I can't, I have two different thought processes going on inside my head. One is, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe that I've never heard of this before. I've been missing out on the sunset my entire life. Maybe, how have I not heard of this before? I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area. And so when I watched the sunset, it's set behind the Olympic Mountains. And so maybe that's why I've never heard of this before, because I never had really seen a sunset on the ocean before. I'd seen it set over a mountain range. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be amazing. This is going to change everything for me in terms of a sunset. The other side of my thinking, that other side of my um, thought process was that what if they're just messing around with me? (laughs) 
what if they're just, you know, they're going to, we're all going to watch the exact same sunset and they're going to pretend like they see this brilliant flash of green light. And I'm like, I, I don't see anything. And they're going to, they're, it's just going to be this big joke. And so I have these two different things going on inside my head as I sit there waiting for the sun to set, trying not to blink as I watch the sun disappear on the horizon. So the last flicker of light disappears on the horizon and I see absolutely nothing. In fact, for the next hour or so, as I'm looking at people and trying to to make them out, I do see green, but I see like green dots everywhere because I've been staring so intently at this sun that I've been told my entire life I'm not supposed to stare at. Ever since that day that I first learned about the green flash, I have watched sunset after sunset after sunset waiting for that green flash. And do you know how many green flashes I've seen in my life? Zero. I haven't seen one. Now, I, I, I meet people that have seen them. In fact, is there anyone in this room that has seen one? Yes, I see one or two hands. Awesome. Three or four hands. That's always the case. Um, there's always three or four. I feel like you guys are in a special club and you need like a special t-shirt that says, I have seen the green flash because I would pay money for one of those t-shirts. Um, I would pay money to see a green flash. I just want to see one. And it's almost as if I watch a sunset and I don't see one and somehow it diminishes the beauty of that sunset. Because I think if I can just see that green flash, it will change everything. It will truly make the sunset be the most amazing thing ever. Do you ever feel as though you are missing out on the green flash? That thing in your life that if you get if you experience, if you achieve, you will finally arrive. You will be whole. You will be alive. And you keep coming back to that same thing over and over and over again, hoping that maybe this time it will be different. Maybe this time I will finally find that fulfillment, that happiness, that joy that I have so desperately been longing for. And time and time again, you end up disappointed still longing for that thing to happen, to do what you have hoped that it would do for so long in your life. And to make it even worse, you see people around you, whether it be friends, family members, or complete strangers, getting that thing that you think if you get, it will change your life forever. But you just can't ever seem to get it. This morning, we're going to look at John chapter 5, and I believe in your program, you have a little printout of the text, and it's going to be up here on the screen as well. And this is John chapter 5, the Gospel of John. And this is verses 1 through 9, the first part of 9. This is what it says. After this, there was a Jewish festival, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, In the north city wall is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sat there. A certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing he had already been there a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, 
I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it is stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has gotten in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well and he picked up his mat and he walked. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this community who can come around you and the life that you give. God, we thank you for this text that we are looking at today. We thank you for your presence among us. May we recognize your presence. May you speak into our lives. May you speak truth into our lives this morning. As in your son's name we pray. Amen. In first century Jerusalem, there were these two large pools just north of the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was the most important thing in, in an Israelite's life, in a Jewish person's life, um, because it is where they believed God to be. And so just north of this place where they believed God to constantly reside were these two pools known as the pools of Bethesda. Um, in our text this morning, it gives the Aramaic word Bethsaida. Um, there's also the historian, the Jewish historian named Josephus, who we get so much of our understanding of the days and the times in which Jesus, and the, the way things worked when Jesus walked this earth. We get so much of our information about that from this Jewish historian named Josephus. He refers to these pools as the pools of Bethesda. So three different names, all for these same two pools. Archaeologists have excavated this area and they have found these two pools. I'm going to go ahead and show you a picture of what and we, we can go ahead and put that up there. This is a, um, a model of what they believe these two pools to look like. And so there were two pools and they were surrounded by five uh, colonnades or covered porches, um, one running the length, to, uh, or one running each of the lengths and the widths, and then one separating the two pools in the middle. You can go to Jerusalem today. The next couple pictures are pictures of uh, when I went there a couple years ago, and this is where they have excavated the area. You can see that later civilizations have built on top of these pools, as they often do um, in ancient civilizations, just build one on top of the other. And so they have dug away those different civilizations and found the actual pools that we read about in this story. Um, that's way down there. There's actually still water that is in this area. I tell you all of this because so often I think we read stories like this. And in some ways, when we look at stories in the Bible, um, and when we read about stories about Jesus, they can seem almost like they're simply fairy tales. Um, these things that are so far removed from uh, are the time in which we walk this earth. But I want you to know that these pools still exist and you can go there and you can touch them and you can feel them and you can see them. And this is where this story unfolded that we are reading today. And I think that's so important to know and understand. So, now, although these pools were in Jerusalem, they were not merely used as a Jewish place of healing. Evidence suggests the, the, the digs that they did and all the things that they have found and the, the history that they have read from Josephus suggests that these pools were also used as non-Jewish places of healing. Evidence suggests that many people of the day and age um, of these times when these pools were in use believed that these waters possess powers to heal you of all sorts of different ailments. So much so that in the early 2nd century, under the Roman Emperor Hadrian, he had these pools dedicated to the Roman god 
Asclepius. I want to show you a picture of the Roman god Asclepius or a, a, um, a statue or a sculpture. Um, so this is Asclepius. Um, anyone notice what's in his left hand? A, uh, there, he has like a staff. And what's wrapped around the staff? A serpent. Does anyone recognize that symbol? Okay, let's go ahead and show the next two, next picture. There we go. Um, so there is a staff with a snake wrapped around it. Um, the Roman god Asclepius was known to carry that. We also actually see it in the Old Testament as well. Some of you might um, with uh, Moses and the, the staff with the snake wrapped around it. But the symbol, uh, the Roman god Asclepius was known. Does anyone have a guess what he was the god of? The god of medicine or the god of healing. Um, and so people believed that this pool could provide healing, that it could provide new life. That's what people believed about these pools, that it could change your life forever if you could just get in this pool at the right time. So large crowds of people would gather around this pool. And why would they gather around the pool every day? Because they wanted life. They longed for healing. They longed for wholeness. Those who were sick, those who were blind, those who were lame, those who were paralyzed... Isn't this the desire of every single person? We just want life. We want to be healed. We want to be whole. We want to be made alive. We want our human experience to be all that it was meant to be. Now, one of the interesting things about this text is that there are some parts of it that are more than likely missing. If you have a Bible at home and you open up that Bible, or if you have a Bible here, you open it up, you will notice, actually, even in your little paper that you have, you will notice that verse 4 is missing. There's not a verse 4 in this chapter. So the reason for that, I'm going to tell you the reason. Some of you might already know, but I just want to make sure we're all clear on why verse 4 is missing is that when they found the ancient manuscripts that the Gospel of John were, are based upon, there was a verse that was there. And so then they added all of the chapters and the numbers, which weren't originally there. They added all of those to help us navigate the text, people like you and me, so we could make our way around this text. Then they found older manuscripts that were much more reliable after they had already added the chapters and the numbers. So instead of just redoing the whole number system, because that would really throw people off, especially if you'd memorize, like, I don't know, John chapter 5, verse 5 or 6, um, it'd really mess you up. And so what they did was they just pulled verse 4 out. Here's the thing. I think verse 4 sheds a lot of light. Even though it's not in the oldest of manuscripts, I still think it sheds a lot of light on what was happening on this particular day when Jesus walked there. So here's the thing. Verse 4, I'm going to show you the missing verse. All right, you guys ready for this? All right. In most of your Bibles, it's still there. It's just as a footnote um, at the bottom of your Bible. So here's verse 4, and it's actually the latter half of verse 3 too. So I'm going to start in verse 3, and then I'm going to go right into this. So verse 3 says, And a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed sat there waiting for the water to move. Sometimes an angel would come down to the pool and stir up the water. Then the first one going into the water after it had been stirred up was cured of any sickness. 
So these two pools were fed by a large reservoir called Solomon's Pools, a little bit further to the north, and were also believed to be fed by these intermittent springs. It's why the uh, historians or the archaeologists believe that these two uh, these two structures were built around these pools in the first place is because there were these two natural springs that occurred. So every now and then, intermittently, these springs would let out a little burst of water into these pools and it would cause the water to do what? To stir or to bubble. It's almost, I, I think of it like when I'm in a hot tub and my, I do not like... Um, jets or anything like that. I like the water to be still. My son loves the jets. And so he will like love just pushing that button. And I I think of it like when he pushes that button and all of a sudden there's this burst of air or this burst of water that comes in to the hot tub and the water is stirred. And something like that would happen every now and then at these two pools. The text says that there was a man at the pool on this particular day who had been coming to the water for how long? 38 years. I turned 37 in October. And I know some people in here don't think I'm very old. The people that I work with think I'm old. Um, and it's the, in my mind, it's a, it's a good amount of time. Uh, 38 years this guy has been sick. For 38 years, this guy has been coming to this pool, hoping to be the first one in the water after it has stirred. Why? Because he wants life. He wants wholeness. So this man, who is more than likely paralyzed, sat around waiting for the water to bubble every day of his life. And this had become his life, just going to the pool each day. I'm just going to sit here and wait. I'm going to wait all day, hoping for that water to bubble, hoping to be the first one in after it bubbles. Because it was only the first, their, their theory went, that it was the first one in the water after it had bubbled or after it had been stirred. And he was hoping that this water would change his life. And every time it happened, he would somehow get to the pool, but he wasn't quite able to be the first one in the water. There was always someone else getting to the water first. There's always been someone else around during a sunset that has seen that green flash. (laughs) Isn't there always someone else getting those things we want that we think will make our experience better? we think will make us come more alive. People getting the grades or people getting the relationships, people getting the jobs, people getting the houses, people getting the internships, people getting the friends. The list could go on and on and on. Those things that we think if we get, it will change our life and our life will be so much better. When I was in seminary, uh, I started seminary in 2004 and I didn't finish till... 2012. <laughs> it was a long time. So as I'm in seminary, the, the program that I was in was a, a three-year program, and I was on, I was working full-time and going to school, not even part, I mean, it was, I was just going to school here and there, taking classes. And all my friends, so I, I the, again, the, the program's three, so the majority of people that I was in school with would come in, they'd be going to school full-time, they'd do the three years, and they're out of there. So I saw three or four classes of people come in and get out of there. And so many of my friends that I made during that time, they'd come in, 
and they'd go and get what I so desperately wanted. They, my, the whole purpose for me going to seminary in my mind was because that I wanted to become a pastor and go into a church and be a pastor of a church. And so I'd see my friends come in and then they'd get calls and uh, they, they'd be called to go pastor a church somewhere. And I thought to myself, if I could just get that, if I could just be called to pastor a church somewhere, then I will be alive. Then I will have somehow arrived. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. And so my whole time in seminary, that's what was in the back of my head. And then I graduate from seminary, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And in the back of my mind, the, play, the thing that's going to be the most life-giving is to be pastor of a church somewhere. But at that time, there weren't any opportunities for me, and so I went to a little place called Front Porch. I had no idea how life-giving Front Porch would be, and it was nothing. It wasn't even close to what I thought was going to be life-giving, but it has turned out to be the most life-giving thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. But again, in my mind, what was the most life-giving thing was to be go in and be a pastor of what a traditional style. I ended up being a pastor of a church, but nothing like what church looked like in my mind. So Jesus sees this guy at the water, a guy waiting for the water to bubble. And Jesus hears that this guy's been doing this for a long time, and so he walks up to him, and what does he ask? Do you want to get well? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Do you want to get well? So often I have heard this text preached on or taught on, and the way that it gets interpreted ends up, this verse ends up being the main point of the sermon. The idea being that this man really didn't want to get well. He really didn't want to get healed. And that was therefore the source of his problems. If he, if he really wanted to get well, he would have known where to look. And where do you look? You look to Jesus, to God, to get healed. But take a closer look at the text and pay special attention to his response to Jesus. How long has he been coming to the pool? 38 years. He's been coming to the pool, waiting to be the first one in the water once it begins to bubble. And he says that when he is trying to get into the water, there's always someone else who gets to the water first. There has been no one to help him get in the water. Of course this man wanted to get healed. There's no question in my mind that this man truly wanted to be healed. I believe that this text actually seems to be more of a commentary on the society and the culture around this man. That after 38 years, no one in the community was willing to help him get in the water first. I mean, can you imagine this? You see this guy every single day. And no one's willing to help him be the first one in the water. You'd think after year like 10 or maybe after year 20 that the community would have said, hey, maybe we should let him get in first today. <laughs> no one would let him in the water first. Everyone would have known about him. Who are the people in our lives who've been sitting around waiting for the water to bubble with no one to help them in? the people that we so quickly write off, just as people have done with this man in this text. He doesn't really want help. If he did, he would do something about it. She really doesn't want a job or a roof over her head or a warm meal. If she did, she'd do something about it. 
He doesn't really want anyone to talk to him. Otherwise, he would have done something about it. I can't tell you how many people come into Front Porch. And, and I'm the type of person who would come into Front Porch if I was a college student. And I would just go, I'd have my earbuds in. And I'd go sit in the corner with a book. And I'd, even though I desperately want to talk to someone, I'd just sit there. I can't tell you how many students come into that place. And the number one thing that I talk about with my 100 volunteers that I have that are constantly there to, to help engage people is to look for that person. Because the, the thing that you tell yourself is, oh, that person doesn't want to be talked to. That person, I tell you, they want to be talked to. They have a story to tell and they just want someone to listen to them. I love what happens next in this story. This man is probably thinking that Jesus is offering to help him into the water. Finally, someone to help me in the water first. And Jesus doesn't wait for him to fully answer his question. Jesus says to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus seeks out the one sitting at the pool who was not able to help himself. The one whose society and culture had written off and ignored. It wasn't this man's willpower. It wasn't his desire. It wasn't his faith even that healed him in this story. Notice that. So often in religion, it says if we just have a little bit more faith, if we just pray a little bit harder, then our lives will change. Then things will be made better. This, I, I can't tell you how life-changing this was for me, how damaging this was for me. I, I think I've told you this before about my brother. I, I know I have. Not all of you may have been here. But my brother died when I was 13 years old. He was, I was the youngest of three. He died of a six-year battle with cancer. And we were a part of a religious community, a great church. I loved the church. Though. I was a Presbyterian church that I was a part of all through my childhood. There's a family in that church, though, who I will never forget came to my house shortly after my brother died. And I will never forget overhearing the conversation that this family had with my parents and the, the words that came out of their mouth. They still like just make me cringe today. And the words were, if we just would have prayed a little bit more, maybe this would have been different. And that's so often what we think in this religious mindset that we get tricked into thinking. If we just have a little bit more faith or if we just pray a little bit more, then maybe things will be better. That's not what we see in this story. It wasn't because this man had faith. It wasn't because he prayed a little bit harder. What saved him? Grace saved him. He didn't do one single thing. So often we think, that it's based on us, but it's not based on us. It's based on the love and the grace of God. Jesus came to a place where both Jewish and pagan people had placed their hope for life, the bubbling water at the pool of Bethesda. And he sought out the one that no one else would help, and he offered him life. After 38 years, I believe when Jesus asked, do you want to get well? It wasn't a question of this man's genuine desire. It was a question of how well do you want to get how alive do you want to be? There are plenty of things in our life that we are sitting around waiting for to make us feel alive. And we can sit around waiting for years. We might even attain some of those things occasionally. But I can tell you that's all they're going to do is they're just going to make you feel alive for a moment. What Jesus doing, was doing for this man was life-changing. And this man didn't have to do a single thing to get it. He didn't have to be in the water at the right time. He didn't have to have enough faith there were absolutely no conditions attached. It was simply an act of love and grace in this man's life. Jesus was offering him something completely new. 
something he hadn't heard about before. He had heard about the occasional healing at the pool when the water bubbled, but he had not heard of the one in which heaven and earth came clashing together in the person of Jesus. The one who, when others encountered him and actually began to follow him and put his teachings into practice, all of a sudden became alive, began getting the full experience of humanity. Jesus says, do you want to experience your humanity like you never have before? Then get up. The phrase used here is one that is regularly used throughout the New Testament to describe a pretty big, significant thing that happens in the life of Jesus. Can anyone guess what that is? The resurrection. Whenever resurrection or whenever resurrection talks about the Greek words here, get up, that phrase is somehow right nearby resurrection. The phrase can be translated as to wake up, to rise, to come into existence, to restore, to enter a new state of life. New life was bursting onto the scene in the midst of the feeble hopes of the religious Jews, in the midst of the religious pagans, and the society that had failed to care for this man for 38 years was witnessing right in front of their eyes the way that it was always supposed to be. Are you going to keep waiting around for the green flash in your life? Are you going to keep waiting around for the water to bubble? Or do you want to live? Do you want to know what it truly means to be human? If we truly want life, we have to not only want life, but believe that following Jesus is the only way to get it. Amen? God, thank you for your word. And thank you for this story of the healing at the pool. And God, we thank you that you are a God of love and that you are a God of grace and that it is not based upon anything that we do, but it is free. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence among us. Amen.